0: listening to the Elephant in the Room podcast with your host Sutta Singh. Each week we will bring you a diverse range of inspiring speakers on issues of inequality and inequity. You will hear stories about fairness, justice, belonging and about best practice for creating a more inclusive workplace. So if you are an individual or leader interested in a fairer, Equitable, compassionate society and workplace. This podcast is for you.
1: My guests on The Elephant in the Room podcast this week are Nikki Regazzoni and George Blizzard, co-founders of the PR Network, a B Corp certified global comms agency. Good afternoon, Nikki. Good afternoon, George. Wonderful to have you as guests on the Elephant in the Room podcast today. Hi there, Sudha. Good afternoon. Thanks for having us. Great. So let's get started with the questions. We normally start with an introduction. Do you have an elevator pitch, Nikki? (laughs) We do. Um, The very short version is that we are a global communications
2: agency powered by experts. And what I mean by that is that we have a footprint all over the world. We are in all four continents. But our difference is that we're based on a network of experienced people such as yourself who have experience between them across all sectors and disciplines and we can cover most geographic markets and we have a team of nine people in the UK including George and myself and that core team manages the base of experts all over the world precisely according to our clients needs. We work in the technology and consumer sectors and on the tech side we've got brands such as Western Digital, Workday, Dropbox, What Three Words and on our consumer team, we work with Beyond Meat and Zipcar and Lexus and Toyota. So a real kind of breadth of clients that are using our services.
1: Wow, sounds incredible. And it also sounds like a different model from what you hear of the traditional agencies. So very interesting to hear that. So you yeah. hear, all shaped by our experiences, by culture, people, education, reading. What would you say were your biggest influences... And of course, this is building towards some of the questions I'll ask you later. George, would you like to start on this?
3: Yeah, I I think about this quite a lot, actually. um, And I think it changes. So I'm often inspired. I actually can walk away of a meeting and think, gosh, that was so inspirational and take something from that. However, probably the one person who inspired me the most over my life would have been my father. So he had an incredible work ethic. He traveled all over the world. He kind of opened my eyes this kind of global workforce and encourage us all to work I mean it's no surprise that I'm one of three sisters we all work in business two of us have our own company and actually Harriet works with Nikki and I and has done since the beginning pretty much Uh, I'd also say my children that's you know big family theme here I've got three daughters as well but two of them are neurodivergent and one actually in particular is very dyslexic But I've watched her, which actually, even myself, I probably could have written her off when she was about 12, uh, because she always had this big goal of wanting to be a doctor. And actually, she completely powered through and has achieved that now. So she's off to medical school. So I think for me, it's that work ethic, that sense of never giving up and that kind of the world's your oyster. It's that kind of thing that has inspired me.
1: Wow.
2: Nikki? Yeah, I mean, on the family side, I think my grandfather, he left school at 14 and kind of put himself through school and university, ended up becoming a head teacher. He, again, inspired me to have that really strong work ethic. But in terms of kind of business people and leaders, I've always admired the late Anita Roddick for her kind of commitment to to sustainability and the belief that you could build a good business with purpose at its heart and balance profit and and people and planet at the same time still have a really successful enterprise. And I think I know we'll come on to talk a little bit about our business and what's important to us in that sense. But I would say that she's certainly been a, a really inspirational figure for me.
1: Yeah, this is like so interesting because when I ask people about who are the people who most inspire them, often there are a lot of people close to home who have been the people who have inspired us the most. And of course, there are people outside also. Anita Roddick is a great example. So congratulations Mm. to both of you. The PR network is 18 this year and you all have been parting nonstop for some time. What were the drivers for setting up your own consultancy and also having that operating model 18 years ago when it was sort of unheard of, right? Nikki? Yeah, I can take that. George and I both worked
2: in leadership positions in traditional agencies for sort of seven or eight years each. And we both noticed that it seemed to be really difficult as women kind of progressed up the workforce, particularly positions on boards, to balance that with their family life. So, George had actually had a baby and was on maternity leave, and I'd been freelancing and I'd noticed that there were lots of people who'd have taken the decision like me to jump out of that traditional trajectory and look at working in a different way for themselves so George and I had this idea of building an agency with a different kind of model, a different way of working, really, which would be based not on people in a in the room or in an office but people yeah. who have um complementary skills and experience that we could bring together in virtual teams for the benefit of clients. And there was nothing out there like this at all at the time. And it wasn't necessarily going to be a lifestyle business. We thought actually this does have a really strong commercial basis. And certainly the people we were taking advice from run agencies and were were client side and thought actually this definitely has legs and we also tested the idea on some of the people in our network who had some great experience and skills and we thought might like to join forces with us but still remain independent so we thought let's go for it and set up a company kind of see where we go at that time we didn't plan or intend to have staff but actually the business model did prove to be very strong quite quickly so now as I mentioned before we do have have nine staff but the operating model today really remains the same so we have now a very large network of people who I mentioned earlier so we've got 1,380 I think, in our our database at the moment. So those aren't people working on our accounts at any one point in time, but they're people who have the right level of skill and experience. They've worked for at least 15 years or so, and they sort of fit our criteria in terms of work ethic and and calibre and share our values and so on. So... Now we bring these people together in teams. They work exactly according to how they want. So they choose their clients. They choose when and where they work. And then we match it to the clients. So we look at the brief. We look at what experience they need, what sector experience, where those clients are, where they need in-market experience. And then we build a team based around that. So there isn't any fat. It's all about smarter working because we don't have an office. We still don't have an office. The client fees are not sort of subsidizing expensive overheads. So it really is about matching and using our connections on the client side and the team side to make sure that the brief is fulfilled as it needs to be and kind of everybody's happy and it works and so we keep clients for a really long time and we keep our people happy for a long time as you mentioned earlier a very successful party yeah uh, the sort of proof of that
1: yeah yeah that sounds like an incredible sort of model where you're creating teams based around their need rather than just having people around who may not meet the needs of the clients. But this model, as we discussed, is not something that would work and definitely not for such a long time if you didn't have certain key things to hold it together. And that's my next question. To you, George, probably, how important are values and purpose to you remaining authentic to what the PR network is all about? And then what does purpose mean for you at the PR network?
3: Yeah, I think to answer your question, incredibly important. I think those drivers that Nikki just kind of talked you through are still our values to today. They've become our values. So this commitment to absolute excellence, everything we do and that commitment to our clients, but also being matched with that total flexibility that Nikki described, like we don't prescribe how people work or in terms of what they do, but we just look for the best possible outcome for our client. The very fact that we've worked virtually and flexibly for so long as well means that we really understand what that means. So it's not just kind of lip service to that approach. It actually truly is that approach. The fact that our children, I mean, my eldest is 18, Nikki's 17 now, we still live by those values. Although our children have moved on, that flexibility, that family first approach is something that we're very, very committed to. And I think obviously the members of our team and people all over the world who have very different circumstances, we mean they want to work perhaps more flexibly, whether that's because of location or because of the other pools on their time. That's exactly how we see it. But those values have to be matched, obviously, with the quality and uh, the level of work we give our clients. In terms of purpose, and actually sometimes purpose is a very overused word. I know yeah. you're rolls their eyes when it's mentioned. But it it, it is important to us, but it has to feel very natural. It has to feel something that we are incredibly committed to. And I think anyone that meets us or comes into our business or works with us understands our purpose immediately. And that is to do great work for great people, but in a very flexible way, in a very agile way. And that's what we've always done. Now that has changed, as our circumstances change, but that remains the same. And it's a very simple approach, but it's one that I think... Because it's very authentic. People believe in it. And I think if you're just saying things for buzzwords, people won't come along with you. Well, as obviously those 1,300 people Nikki talks about, I think are all attracted to us because there is a sense of belonging there. They feel that purpose. They share that purpose. And therefore, we can bring them together and deliver great work for our clients.
1: And
2: perhaps we should talk about our B Corp accreditation as well. This is something that George and I actually wanted to go for way before COVID. We got really excited about it. So this is a great framework, not just to tell people what a great business we are and to rubber stamp it, but also to give us kind of a path to go along and to ensure that we keep becoming better. And unfortunately, COVID did get in the way for us. And we only started probably pursuing that B Corp dream about 18 months ago. And it did take a good year to get us in the position to be certified. But we got 90% for workers in the workers' category. Sidra, so I'm sure you know how it kind of yeah. breaks down. Yeah. And we were so happy with that because that. George has been talking about our approach to people um, and it, you know, on both sides. And I think that obviously is a great endorsement um, of the fact that we don't just talk the talk. We don't just say we treat people well, but obviously we do because you can't become a B Corp without really being a, a good business.
1: Yeah, without walking the talk, so to speak. And I I think this is such a wonderful way to also showcase something that we've lost probably in the past couple of decades where we've all become so work-centric that we've forgotten that our individual lives are not just about work. There are other things beyond work. There may be children caring responsibilities, but there could be passion projects. There could be anything. It could be just sitting idle and not doing anything. Now, actually, it's yeah. even better than there is, because I think that the motivation
3: people have because they're able to work more flexibly, the experience they have outside of work brings a lot to work. So I think having those external factors built into your life and very much part of your working life is brilliant. It just makes a better experience for everyone.
1: Yeah, I'm sure people have less dread because I remember during the agency life, you work so intensively and such long hours that you dread some of the days because you have other commitments too. Maybe they're just administrative tasks, but you don't have enough of time in the day. So if this frees up some time for you to do other things without feeling stressed, you'll actually bring your best self to work.
3: Absolutely. I think so. Motivation is definitely there to do that.
1: Yeah. George, this is a question for you. As a virtual agency, how do you create a cohesive culture? I mean, this is a question for everybody post-COVID actually. With a remote, hybrid, intergenerational, culturally diverse workforce, it is a huge challenge. And it is also a huge challenge in terms of what people's expectations are nowadays. Uh, But I guess you'd be different from the traditional agency, which is just moving into this, which is now debating remote and flexible, et cetera. You've always done this. So,
3: yeah. So, I mean, we've been born virtually. We were set up as a virtual agency, so remote workforce. Um, And we get asked this a lot about our culture. And I mean, we don't pretend to be experts. As Nikki kind of talked through our story, it was very much, this is what we wanted to do. And it has informed our value system. But we're obviously doing something right because most of our team have been with us 10 plus years. We get great glass door feedback. So we hope we're doing something right, but we do think about it a lot. I think it comes back to what I was talking about earlier, that sense of belonging, Yeah. So I feel sharing our story by being very transparent about our story and and not being afraid to talk about flexible working and family first encourages other people to come and work with us and to kind of join our our team in in many ways. And I actually listened to this great podcast with Owen Eastwood recently, but he talks about that kind of oxytocin effect when you work in a a place where you feel a sense of belonging. And I think that informs a culture so people feel that oxytocin hormone is released when you're working with people in a great way in those kind of team scenarios we definitely have a really strong team ethic I think another thing you talk about this kind of intergenerational multicultural approach having a very strong sense of purpose or culture so the people know what you stand for you can allow people to kind of interpret that a bit differently into different geographies or different teams you know you can't obviously it would be a bit odd if you enforced a very rigid culture on someone you just can't make that go across no. different countries so I think as so long as we're really comfortable about what it means to us how they interpret that slightly differently in another region for example a lot of our associates we talk about this 1300 are freelance consultants you can't always necessarily be freelance in a different country so they might be a smaller agency a group of people yeah. So we're we're free on how people interpret how our culture is, so long as the core values of flexibility, delivery of excellent client service and this kind of transparency is committed to. I think that's the key. The hybrid working is interesting because I think a lot of people use culture they weaponized it a little bit against hybrid. They're like, well, you can't have a culture if you're not together. And Nikki and I were told that so many times beginning. Well, how does it work when you're not in the same room? Obviously, after the pandemic, no one asked that again. <laughs> they were like, okay, we get it. We've got technology, people can do it. But we've never been anti-people working together, meeting up. We've always done that. Nikki and I, I think it was the longest we've ever been apart was during the pandemic. We always are together. At least once a week, we say Nikki face-to-face if we can. Um, so that's- yeah, We like seeing people's faces. It's boring being on your own
2: all the time just doing this,
3: isn't it? Yeah, Yeah. we come together for a reason, with a purpose. But you can build a strong culture if you haven't met someone and they work in India and you work in the UK. You can build a strong culture. And I think Owen Eastwood, again, in this podcast I listened to, referred to this fact that, online therapy is a great example of this people actually display a a very quick sense of candle online so so long as you're the right person and you're willing to kind of go for it you can build really strong relationships online we also prefer to back them up with in-person meetings as well so we have that approach but obviously that's not possible for everyone and if you want a global team you've got to find a way for that culture to kind of go globally and it can't always be face-to-face. So I think having a really strong sense of belonging and taking people along with you and them knowing what you stand for, your values and your purpose and then this kind of team effort that you create with this working approach, I think are the the ways to make it work and I think culture is key to that but it absolutely
1: can be hybrid as well as face-to-face. True, Mm. true, true. So... I mean, you've been around for 18 years, and I'm sure not everything has been as easy as it looks now. You're here <laughs> at 18 and you're like, oh wow, yeah, we've always been brilliant and we are here. How easy or how difficult has the journey been? And what would you say are the three or four biggest learnings that you have? George, you just mentioned that we talk about, even Nikki mentioned it earlier, that you talk about family first. Uh, and often people are very shy to talk about family first in the agency side. They don't mm. want to speak about it because it somehow denotes lack of commitment or lack of ambition or lack of ambition. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what were your biggest challenges and what were your learnings from them? Do you want to handle that one, Nikki? Yeah.
2: I mean, certainly we never pretend it's all been roses. That would be ridiculous. 18 <laughs> years. Yeah. yeah, we've had we've faced a lot of challenges. We've had obviously a global economic crises that we've worked our way through. We've had Two financial downturns. We've had a pandemic where we had staff that we had to sort of look after pastorally and clients. And then on a personal level as well. George had her baby before we set up the company. We've gone on between us to have another four. So we've managed all of that. And then the challenges that obviously inevitably come with growing a lot, well, uh what it is to us a large-ish business, um, with lots of people to look after and clients to keep happy. So I think, yeah, we've had our challenges, and I think. In terms of learnings and things that we might perhaps we had a chat about this and we sort of co- collectively agree we might do differently if we started all over again would be probably not try and do everything ourselves from the outset. So you start off just with two people that are relatively senior in terms of comms experience, but we didn't know how to run a business. So I think what we would do next again with hindsight would be to make sure that we outsource the areas of you know, the business functions that we don't know not experienced in obviously finance being one. bring in more back office support more quickly, just really understand what it is that we can do best as owners and leaders of the company and then bring in other people around you and sort of invest in that to grow the company more quickly. And then I suppose on the back of that as well, we know that our business is successful the more people that we have in it, in the permanent team. So we would probably hire more great people a little bit faster and have the confidence to do that. Now we know, again, with the benefit of experience that this business model has very strong legs the case was made with COVID, but even before that, we were growing um, pretty quickly year on year. So I think just hire more people more quickly and then make sure that we keep them happy. George just talked about our culture. We are so fortunate to have fantastic people in our business. And we now have an MD who's leading a fantastic yeah. senior team. I would so just make sure that we're always thinking about those people and related to that again I suppose would be although we have always had this attitude to make sure that if our clients don't share our values they're not the right clients for us but just always make sure that we're sort of looking out for kind of um, red lights or situations where perhaps the clients that we're working with don't respect our family first approach and might put pressure on our team or our clients because we talk a lot in our industry about mental health and yeah. so on, and the importance of that. And we very much do stand by that and we do look after our team. But we know there are other agencies out there that they might have mental health phone lines and all of that. But actually, some people have problems which have got nothing to do with work. So that's different. But sometimes you see you're part of the problem. And that was something that came up, wasn't it, at the conference, yeah. the diversity conference that obviously you set up. Yeah. Um, so, again, I suppose just making sure that you've got the right clients that share the values that you want to have as integral to your agency.
3: And I'd also add to that, Sida, that we have been really lucky because I think it hasn't been as difficult for us as it has for others because we've had each other. And I think that's always something when we talk to other business owners and other independent agencies, it's lonely at the top. And I think going through all of those things that Nikki's just outlined on our own would be a very different story. But I think having each other and being able to share our worries, perhaps, but also having that diversity of thought that comes from two people, very much one picks up the other at different times. It's incredible how that happens, but has made it an easier journey. I think if you were asking that same question to a female owner, one single female owner of a business, I think they'd have a very different answer. And I think we we always thank our lucky stars that we do have each other, I think. Absolutely. I talked about that seesaw, didn't I? That one of us is up and the other one is down. Yeah. It's sometimes was always kind always, of a One way, of one us having a bad week, the other one's yeah. going, well, yes, mm-hmm. but. <laughs> just, yeah. And, I, and I, I, th- I don't think you could have gone through a pandemic. I mean, we talked about the like, banking crashes. They were pretty scared. But that pandemic was as bad as it gets, really, in terms of fears for the future, concerns for your team, concerns for your team's well-being, let alone financial well-being and, and the clients and everything else. And I I don't think we could have got through it in reality, like lots of people didn't, without having each other to sound off to, really, I suppose.
1: Yeah, problem shared. I think nothing better than that. So moving on from the business to the industry, post-COVID, I think that there are a lot of questions that the industry is asking itself, and I'm not sure how many of them they're really interested in solving. Because like you mentioned, the mental health thing, we know that people are really stretched and these huge agencies, but those huge agencies are always under-resourced. Yeah. The teams are always under-resourced. They're always waiting for the next client before they build the team, et cetera. But what, according to you, are the biggest challenges facing the PR industry today? And what would you say are the skills that would be required for the future? Nikki?
2: Yeah, I think... Um... I suppose the main issue or or consideration or challenge is around skills and people, and just understanding what skills and and capabilities we have in the industry now, and then what we're going to need. So we make sure that we're hiring the right people for the right jobs. And I suppose a big part of that is is AI and the fact that we're all as as agency owners and in-house comms leaders, um, you know, sort of grappling with that and trying to work out how we can understand the opportunities and the challenges. Um, George and I have been spending quite a lot of time on that this year. We've run various um, external training workshops involving both our team and our extended team and our clients separately to sort of understand the different perspectives and concerns around that. Um and say we've got all of the answers, but we've got kind of working groups set up to try and understand that because obviously it is going to change a lot in terms of the tools, which mean that certain jobs and tasks can be done more quickly and more efficiently. But then also on the client side, there are concerns around privacy and security and exposure to risk that we need to understand as well. So I'd say that is a really big challenge that I don't think anybody, as far as we know, we are in various sort of industry groups and quite a senior level. And I think everybody's excited about it, but also quite concerned about what it means. And we need to make sure that we don't keep hiring people at a level that we can't, and then we don't know what jobs they're going to be doing. The traditional AE or AA mm-hmm. job is going to look very different now than it did even a year ago. And then I suppose as well, I, I was thinking about, about ESG and the need to understand this is obviously your focus area, Suda, but that's obviously becoming a lot more important. This brands are under more scrutiny from consumers, but then also the term itself has now got some negative connotations and some organisations are looking at how they address that. So I think there's a lot going on at the moment. And the industry is very bloated, I think, as well. There's a lot of people in it a lot of agencies and there seem to be more agencies springing up all the time. So maybe we'll see some more consolidation like we did post-COVID. That's a possibility, I think.
1: Yeah, that's very interesting. And you spoke about the role of the AE. And what I have seen, I've noticed that often the AEs are like one of the most stretched groups of like people, employees in an organization. And because they're doing so many manual tasks that probably AI would be the opportunity there. And then they would still need to upskill, I guess. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. Let's see where we go with that. George, I'd like to know, again, we are still on the industry. This Mm -hmm. is an industry which is predominantly made up of women. But as we move up the levels, of course, the number of women sort of drop. And if you see, look at the big agencies, we still have men leading, um, what are your thoughts on how we can get more women into leadership positions? Why are they still not there? I mean, the two of you, are female co-founders.
3: Yeah, I think it's fairly simple. I think it's an issue that we talked about a bit earlier about flexibility and transparency. We alluded to it earlier, but we have a job share. So we set up with a job share 18 years ago, and we still are very committed to that. And that has enabled us to... Really, ensure that we're living the life we want to outside of work as well, so we have each other to pick up where needed, and we're very proud of that actually. I think there's not many job shares if you looked around in fact there's very few job shares in our industry and actually in the wider workplace as well, and we passionate believe with more job shares we'd have more women who are able to kind of blend that yeah. work life balance. We were also uh, committee members for some time on the Women in PR group as well. Uh, As we record this, today is um, World Mental Health Day, Tuesday 10th. And they've released some stats, actually, which I think point to this problem massively. I think if you don't mind me, just I'm going to say that 92% of women find it harder to switch off in our industry. It's 24 7. I think we've all probably experienced that. That makes it very hard to have a life outside of work if you're continually stressed you're definitely going to feel that kind of burnout. And then 60% of those who currently feel stressed said they find it difficult to talk about. Now, that is shocking, I think, in our industry when we're all communicators and there isn't that ability to do that. So those are just a couple of stats. I think they're releasing that survey today. But it's a big problem. And I think it's only going to be solved by role modeling, which is what Nikki and I try and do. We try and show there's another way, there's another path. And by allowing women to be very transparent about if they have childcare or caring responsibilities, and sometimes that's caring for elderly parents as well, it's not always a child and parent situation, they should be able to be very transparent about that. And right back at the very beginning, we talked about this to a colleague and he, a man, advised us that we shouldn't talk about our job share and we shouldn't say when we weren't working because we had an out-of-office on, he's like, it's totally unprofessional. Why? I mean, that would just discount a very large group of women who want to, differently and I think that transparency is key you should be very proud of the fact that you can have a flexible way of working that you can work remotely or you do things differently and not hide it I think that kind of hiding of that want for a different way of doing things will probably put people off having a leadership role thinking they cannot be ambitious and have a different approach to their work life balance and I absolutely disagree <laughs> Just add to that, I think it's a shame that there seems to still
2: be, you know, 18 years after we set up our business, sort of predicated on this flexible way of working, there still seems to be Some kind of mindset that you're making a compromise either to your work and your clients, your job, or to your family. It doesn't have to be like that. And George and I talk really openly on LinkedIn. You probably see about the fact we've, I think between us, we've only ever missed probably a handful of our children's special occasions. And you only have children for a short amount of time and they would remember that. Whereas I've been working for 27 years and I mean, I hope I won't be for another 27, but it's not out of the (laughs) question. So, you know, just think it doesn't have to be this choice. It's possible to blend the two. Obviously, sometimes it's going to go a bit wrong and you'll be too busy yeah. and, yeah. and sometimes too busy as well. Obviously, it doesn't always work perfectly, but you don't have to choose one or the other.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, I so agree with what George has said and what you're saying is that why do you need to choose? And I think that stigma around that if you have a family and you need to leave because you need to look after or pick up your kid, it, does it really mean that you're not committed to your job or your work or you're going to be like not fulfill the role requirement? I don't think it does. But I think big agencies are still following that through. And that's a real shame. Because, like you said, 18 years ago, you decided to do this. And we still have issues where women are talking about how do we manage childcare or looking after elderly parents or looking after yourself. It's yeah. like, very, very
3: really challenging. Well, yeah, no, the menopause as well, obviously, there's a lot of discussion around that. There's a lot of people talking about it, but the reality is what is that translating into? If you talked about that, where would that affect your ability to get a leadership position? I don't know. But Nikki and I um, were very lucky to um, run the mentor scheme for a couple of years for women in PR. And it was the biggest problem. Women were coming. It's an amazing mentoring scheme. I encourage anyone who is um, in the UK who wants a mentor to look at that scheme, but uh, in partnership with PR Week, actually. But it was a big problem. Most people who came onto that scheme were looking for support and how to get to the next stage and they didn't feel supported, or they had imposter syndrome. Yeah, I think hand in hand, if you're trying to kind of keep your actual true self out of work, then I think imposter syndrome can come in. And it's really sad because until you have transparency in how you want to work and how you should work, so long as you're meeting your KPIs, and you're able to be very honest about what your goals are and your ambitions for your life as well as your work, you won't be able to tackle this. But from our point of view... The way we've managed to do it is this flexibility, having this job share approach, having this total transparency, and then building a team of people who also want this flex working. Because some of our team use reduced hours, some are part-time, some are full-time. We offer a very different approach for the individual. And I think until that happens, you won't get women in those leadership positions because they're not able to make them work.
1: So, but there's nothing actually that is stopping people from adopting these policies, We've had some pushback, haven't we, George, or
2: sort of questions about the way we've managed to make it work, particularly regarding the job share or just generally. I mean, I guess it's a bit different because we are running our own business, so mm-hmm. we're in charge of our time a bit more than yeah. be. But there often seems to be an idea that clients don't like job shares or clients don't work part time. And yeah. I don't I think that's right. Clients. And I know, again, I'm only talking from the agency perspective, but or say senior in house people who might need their Pomsley. They just need the week covered somehow by somebody who is on it, whatever they need help with. So, of course, they don't want to be told there's a problem on a Friday. Sarah's off on a Friday with her family because that's not helpful, is it? But they need to know on a Friday there's somebody else who's being briefed on whatever sarah was working on and is available to take their call or to push something forward so i just think that there needs to be that sort of provision across the week so there's always cover and that's not the responsibility of the person who's working four days to sort out you know that's the responsibility of the employer to make sure that they have got the resource in place and if it's part time resource it shouldn't be an extra overhead it's more complex and people perhaps don't want the complexity
3: And as with everything, it's communication. So long as you set this out from day one and say, this is your team, this is how they work, this is your cover, everyone's clear. I think the only problem comes when they don't know and it's not obvious and it's not communicated effectively and it's not transparent. I think when there's transparency, it it works. And actually the best job shares and the only other job shares I've really seen in the industry have been in-house roles. So I think it's a misnomer that in-house teams don't like it. I think in-house teams just want to know they're getting good client service regardless of who the person is they just want to know that someone cares they're on it and they're responding in a very good time I think that the mechanism is less important to them so yeah I I think job shares I think the job share comes out diversity of thought that sharing of experience I think they've got so much to offer and yet are so poorly executed if at all um, in our industry as well
1: Yeah, I guess in house and the public sector has been like really good on job shares for a very long time. And maybe we should learn from their experience. So maybe they should start asking agencies how they're offering flexibility to their own staff moving on to the next question so post COVID we've seen suddenly everybody understands what hybrid means that remote is a possibility that you can deliver on your business objectives from wherever you are because most of the agencies did very well there were very few that didn't do well actually but two and a half years down the line I think agencies are starting to call people back what are your thoughts on this Mickey? Yeah, I mean, I think it's not necessarily, I
2: feel quite sorry for a lot of the agency peers that we have that are sort of grappling with this issue, because I think that having um, listened to other people who are running agencies and trying to work out how to get people in them in a balanced way, I think it's really difficult, because obviously you do have people, senior people, who don't need or want to be in the office all the time, and they can't commute because they have caring responsibilities, yeah. whether they're children or parents or whatever. But then you also have juniors who perhaps don't have a place of work and want to come in, need to come in to learn, need to socialise, need to learn from their leaders who they need to then see in the office. So I think there's lots of issues. It would be easy for us to sit back and say, well, we don't have an office and we don't need one. We've got senior people who've worked for many years who don't need to learn or be in a place. So. I think I would just start by saying I think it is really difficult. I think though, and I guess the wider world, the wider industry and, and globally we've seen businesses calling employees back to the office, haven't we? In America, I think a lot are now mandating full-time, if not four days at the least. I guess we do think that seems very backward and that we can't really go backwards because employees have seen, as you say, that it well yeah. knowledge workers anyway, that it's perfectly possible to work from home at least some of the time without the business suffering, because a lot of organisations in, in our sector certainly actually had a very good year that year when you know yeah. they weren't saying to staff, well, you can't work at home properly, obviously, so don't bother working. People were expected to work however they could, and they were. So I think that's not a message that employees are receptive to. And George and I attended. Did a uh, an event uh, recently, a talk from Julia Hobsbawm. Are you familiar with Julia? Yeah. yeah and she, she wrote a book called The Nowhere Office, but it's mm-hmm. a play on words. It's supposed to be also the now here office. And her whole, whole premise is that, the office or the workplace of the future is not going to be what it was in the past. These drivers towards or rather away from working in office were there long before COVID. Your staff don't want to work like that. This is a, a way of working that was based on industrial revolutions, sort the of print time of clocking in and clocking out principles. Yeah, yeah. Those days have gone. Um, and people are simply not prepared to come into an office every day unless they have. A good reason to. So it's about the why are you coming into the office, not the when are you coming in. Like somebody was saying this earlier on another poll, there has been a mandate that we've seen recently in the industry. You have to come in on a Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Why? You know, oh, yes. For us, that's absolutely ridiculous. So it's not about the when and the where, it's about the why and for, for yeah. what purpose. And again, George mentioned earlier, when we come together, we use this meetings for purpose kind of phrase, which is about, we don't want people to come in and sit around a table on their laptops and doing calls, things that they could do at home. What's the point of that? Yeah. It's about coming together for a reason. So yeah, we can't and won't go back, I'm sure. So it's interesting times.
1: Yeah, it sounds very interesting. And I mean, a lot of agencies and like you've mentioned that in the U.S., companies are mandating in India also. I think companies, a lot of companies are mandating that people go back to work, sort of not my generation. I'd say the younger workforce are reluctant and unhappy. They're going back because they don't have a choice, but they seem to be reluctant and unhappy to be doing that. So we've been having a lot of fun having this discussion. I think we're on the last question. What is your ambition for the next 18 years for the PR network? George, would you like to start on this?
3: I think to keep going bigger and better. So I think we're looking more closely at regions that we're doing more work in at the minute. I think we'd like to see those grow more and more. India being one of those. And across the continent of Africa, we're doing quite a lot of work across various African countries at the minute. The US as well. So really kind of consolidating in those markets and finding more work for our fantastic associates that are all over the world. Another one is just innovate, I suppose, continually innovate. So we set out with this great idea. We didn't think it would be as innovative as it was at the time. It was just very much the goal we had for ourselves to work. I'd love to see how that shifts. We've been talking about that return to work basis. None of AI, none of us know what this will look like in five years, let alone 10. So I'd love to see some continual innovation. I think we're very open to that. More job shares, I'd say, if I haven't banged on about that enough today. What about you, Nikki? Anything you'd add? I think just again
2: to continue to do things differently we never wanted to be an agency like like anybody else just make sure that we are always sort of future proofs being the concept make sure that it works for our teams and our clients
1: yes. and I guess we improve our B Corp
2: status I should say as well
1: absolutely so I mean we've finished all the questions that I'd shared with you but I just want to ask you I've asked a couple of people and I want to ask you one more thing this is not a question about your business but generally how would you end the sentence I believe in Gosh, I had just song lyrics just came into my head then. Gosh, that's really difficult, isn't it? I believe
3: in the ability of people to do good when they have the opportunity to. Yeah. That's a good one. Oh, no. I'm terrible being put on the spot. Oh. What was the song? It was actually Michael Jackson. (laughs) (laughs) I believe in the children of the future or whatever it is. That just came straight to my head. Yeah, I probably believe in having, I think, having fun while I work. I think trying to have fun or sense of fun in everything I do. Try and enjoy everything.
1: That's amazing. I think you all have given fantastic answers. And I'm going to say, yeah, I'm sort of trying to embody that for the next whatever time I work. Have fun <laughs> while I'm working. And also believe in what has to come and what mm. we can achieve in the future. So... Yeah. It's been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for making time for this conversation. It's been so interesting to hear from female founders but also people who are unapologetic about this part because I think female founders I think go the extra mile to not show their they consider it a weakness their family first credentials.
3: Yeah.
1: The femininity I suppose isn't it yeah, we
3: try you think that you can only be a leader by adopting a male approach and actually there yeah. is another yeah. approach yeah. which is yeah. much more in keeping with our family first approach.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you very much for this conversation.
3: Thank you, Suda. Thank you
2: really
0: enjoyed it. Brilliant.
1: Thank you for inviting us.
0: Brilliant. Thank you for joining us this week on the Elephant in the Room podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on any of your favorite platforms. iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. And if you enjoyed listening to the podcast today, don't forget to write a review and tell your friends. Sign up on the link in the show notes to receive updates on our guest speakers, blogs and events. And don't forget to tune in every Thursday for new episodes.